Hey everyone, welcome to Considered, a podcast where turtlenecks and good designs thrive. I'm Dasha. And I'm Stephanie, and we're two industrial designers considering all things design. And welcome back to another episode of Considered. Today we have a special guest here with us by the name of Tim Antoniak. Tim is an associate professor of industrial design at the University of Alberta, as well as an active professional designer in Edmonton, Alberta. He is currently working on the design of multi-unit microspaces and interactive objects at his studio, Architure, where he blends architecture and furniture design to develop multi-unit spaces for new residential builds. We encourage you all to check out Tim's website, www.architure.ca, and that is architure as an A-R-C-H-I-T-U-R-E dot C-A. We'll also be sharing Tim's website and images of his work on our Instagram, so follow us at Consider Design Podcast to check it out. So Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks welcome. for uh, thank you. Thanks for uh, you know sitting down with me and seeing actual physical people in this crazy <laughs> time. It's nice. I guess to start off, we'll let you know our podcast uh, is all about turtlenecks and blendstones. So we uh, support the stereotypical designer look. Yeah. Um, and we know you like to wear turtlenecks as well. Do you have a particular favorite or from a favorite brand? I, I don't know about favorite brand. Uh, I'm not a super brand oriented guy typically, but uh, black. It's black. Be black. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a reason why you wear them? Uh, I don't know. Canada. I mean, it's cold up here, and they look pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's definitely something that we aspire to as well. Okay, well, why don't we dive right in? How did you get into the world of design? Oh my gosh. Um, how did I get into it? So I think that I've always had sort of the, I'm a serial entrepreneur. So um, when I was a kid, I, you know, started up little like super small businesses. I was really into windsurfing when I was in high school, which was forever ago, like in the eighties we're talking about. Um, and I started to compete a little bit. And then I started weirdly out of Edmonton to manufacture race sales, like windsurf race sales. And then we started to win races and we started to sponsor people. And so, you know, I ended up renting um, a space, a loft and, and making sales and going to the States and racing. Um, so I've always been in design somehow, like from an entrepreneurial sense. Um, and I never thought of myself as a designer of windsurf sales. Um, but it was that, and I used to teach windsurfing. So there's always sort of design elements in my life. So I look at design, and I, I really believe that anybody can be a designer. Hmm. You know, yeah, like I teach design, but I think everybody sort of designs. And it's just, you know, the nice thing about design school is we, we teach people to be better designers, mm -hmm. hopefully most of the time. <laughs> yeah. 
that's that's a really cool start. Wow. Uh, can you tell us a little bit how how did you transition from from that and mm-hmm. and eventually becoming you yeah. know a professor, owning your own business? <sighs> Crazy that I'm a professor. First of all, nobody would have thought <laughs> it. Um, I, it was just it's like everybody. You know, it was I'm just following life's path that I. You know, did this windsurf thing and started that up, and then I thought, well, I, I I'd like to go to business school, and I'm really into marketing. And then so I went to Nate Northern Alberta Institute of Technology here in Edmonton, went through marketing, and then sort of realized, like, geez, I don't know if I want to sell fax machines. It was kind of a weird time in the sort of early '80s in a way. So um, I went from from that sort of going, yeah, I'm not sure where I should go. And I worked at a wine store for a while, mm-hmm. kind of where am I going? Wasn't happy with that. Then I thought, well, I'm going to go to the university and I'm, I'm going to be, uh, I lived in Nigeria as a kid in Benin City. And um, I thought, I really like monkeys. So I'm going to be an anthropologist. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Then, so then I came to the U of A doing an undergrad after just, you know, being a windsurf professional and, and this weirdness. and. And then I was walking by a display case, and I was like, oh, that's really cool, like built objects. And mm-hmm. I had some friends that were in it. I didn't know much of what they were doing. And, and then I got the industrial design bug. And then I, I went through industrial design here at the, at the U of A. Um, and then when we were graduating, uh, so this was in the early 90s, uh, there was a group of uh, seven of us that were graduating between about a three-year period. So I was sort of the, quote, youngest, not in age, but in when I was graduating compared to the other uh, six people, I guess. Um, and we said, yeah, like, you know, let's let's set up a furniture company. And so it was called Hot House. And we pooled like 50 bucks a month to pay rent um, at, at a studio, like at a workshop. And we started making stuff. And then, so we were a collective. So we each did our own thing, but a collective under the name Hot House. And then um, after a couple of years of doing that, um, uh, three of the members um, split off to form a group called Pure Design. Mm. So, you know, fast forward 10 years with Pure Design and Hot House. Um, you know, Hot House had a, a retail focus, so we had three stores um, in Edmonton and, and Calgary, and we were selling across, you know, every city in North America, every major city into Europe and Japan and South America. And Pure Design was working with, um, they did, they hired sort of brought in people like Karen Rashid and, and mm-hmm. Richard Hutton. And uh, so we both really expanded internationally. So um, it was a pretty crazy time, uh, wow. like in the 90s, because we used to go to these shows in New York, like the ICFF and um, San Francisco Furniture Fair. And we ended up hot house going to, um, into Europe, into the Bland Furniture Fair. So it was a crazy period because... Um, there wasn't really a lot of competition. Like, never mind in Canada, there was very few companies doing contemporary furniture. But in the States, there you know, was a bit more. But if you went to these shows and had something pretty cool, you would write orders like crazy. Wow. Where today, there's just so many people doing design and doing furniture design. And mm. so it was, a, it was a, just an easy, lucky time for us. So despite ourselves, we, uh, you know, we went on after 10 years with Hot House. I... Um, I wasn't entirely happy with the direction of the company and, and I sort of saw some other opportunities in my life and I said, well, it's time to move on. So um, so I did with with literally no plan and I had a young family, like mm-hmm. um, three kids under like two kind of thing and, <laughs> and no income. And then a professorship came up at U of A, like the furniture prof that taught me was retiring and, and long story short, fast forward, um, I became a professor, which was crazy, and you know where I went to school unexpectedly. 
Um, and then I've been here for about you know 18 years and really active professionally. So design has just filtered throughout my life. Wow. Can you tell us a little bit actually about your past? You said you grew up in, Niger- in Nigeria. Yeah. Nigeria. Does that inspire your work? Is that how? How, uh, yeah. how did you even come to Canada? Like how did that even yeah, happen? Yeah. So so my father was a chemistry teacher at Nate, uh, and I was just you know kid in Edmonton, uh, mm-hmm. and this is in the 70s. And, uh, you know, my dad is, you know, both my parents are are Ukrainian farmers, poor, you know, as dirt kind of thing. And so he ended up, you know, getting a position teaching chemistry at Nate. And Mm -hmm. um, he said, you know, as I remember, sort of one day, it's like, yeah, we're going to move to Nigeria and I'm going to go help set up a technical college in chemistry. So I'm going to teach the chemistry section. And then just, you know, this young kid between about five and seven. So really formative years of my life. Um, I was just, you know, just some white guy in the middle of Nigeria <laughs> and just like riding bikes in the jungle. And um, wow. so did it affect me? Oh my, oh my gosh, yeah, aesthetically. Like I'm not a musician, but the, the kind of music I like and, and aesthetic and image and people. And so it did, you know, and I never realized it as t- until I got sort of older in years of like how much that affected me about wow. the way I see society and people and community um, and helpfulness, um, and it filters into design, I think, in very sort of subconscious ways. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was it was an amazing time, just as like this little kid and my brother and and some other instructors, kids, sort of similar age, where we'd just go, just burning our bikes down these <gasps> like jungle paths, and it was just Crazy. it was normal. Like we were just a kid, and we didn't know different. So it was pretty it was pretty incredible. Wow. Is there any particular thing about that culture that impacted? Uh, your design in I particular? Think, um, subtly. I mean, I'm, I'm for sure like somewhere between a modernist and a postmodernist. But I, like when I see people um, of different cultures and ethnicities, different parts of the world, and I really encourage people, like even as, as students, to bring in their history and their past and their culture and their family and things like that because um, that's what creates richness in our world. So I just... I really feed off of people that can bring in that sense of newness because the reality is, is that was, that was a long time ago. Yeah. It's like, my gosh, like 45 years ago. So certainly the rest of my contemporary uh, life in a sense, you know, in Canada has, has influenced more of what I do. Mm. But I think that to answer your question more directly, I think it's affected the way I design from, because for everything that I do, it's all about, you know, community, people, place, space, then mm. stuff. Okay. You know, like the stuff designed objects and services and experiences come from, like, really trying to understand people mm. first. And so I think in that way, um, I wouldn't feel as strongly about that as I do if I wouldn't have grown up there. Hmm. That's a really good point. I think that's definitely something that Steph and I... Uh, value as well. I know that that's something we learned from you and from the rest of the program, the importance of uh, people and relating to people, human-centeredness. Obviously, we're just starting out as designers, so I wonder how that plays into the professional world, if if it's a little bit different in terms of, you know, uh, if it you know, if it's more marketing based and the way that people think about Mm people in the design space like does it shift a little bit as you go into the professional world yeah. uh, there's some interesting 
sort of theoretical and practical discussions around this very topic where, you know, everybody from like, you know, Apple, that, you know, it's like give people what they didn't think they knew they needed or mm -hmm. wanted, right? Mm -hmm. um, which in some ways sort of suggests that, you know, like the all-powerful, brilliant designer comes and says, here you are. But I sort of look at it like in a way similar but a bit different because mm -hmm. I sort of go, well... Yeah, I don't know that I can really force an idea down somebody's throat. I, I, I look at it more just myself, and I don't critique or, or think people design wrong. You know, it's just I sort of go, well, if I can get to know that group of people, that community um, better, mm -hmm. then I can understand these hidden things. So it's still focused on the people. It's about getting to know those people and then giving them these surprises. You know, yeah, sure, that they didn't know what they want, but it's not me trying to figure out and then just go, yeah, here are people, here is what you want. Hmm. You know, because then it's about me, and it's, it shouldn't be about me unless I'm a part of that specific group. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my thoughts. So I guess you talk about Hothouse at your mm -hmm. furniture company and uh, coming back into being a professor here at yeah. the U of A. Uh, but you mentioned multi-unit microspaces yeah. and interactive objects. Yeah, what the heck is that? Yeah, <laughs> can you <laughs> break it down for yeah. us a little bit? What you're what you're um, working on? Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess just real brief that that all that stuff um, sort of came out of like uh, you know I, I graduated and I owned a furniture company, a contemporary furniture company. So we made widgets, we made tables and chairs and couches and stuff. So it was really just object focused really about aesthetic and not so much about people you know it's not the mm -hmm. way I was sort of educated in a way so um, you know my life over you know the last couple decades has been increasingly like I've said about understanding people and community and place and space and what do people want and the way people live so it's not just about your apartment or it's not just about your house it's about you know sort of the scenario of how do you live like where do you go have coffee because you know, coffee used to be at home, you know, mm -hmm. it's like you get your coffee, and it is for many people, but, you know, you go back 50 years, it's like mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, like, get the coffee pot on, so just the way people live is really different now, so sort of the ecology of what I think is a part of somebody's life has gone from, like, furniture objects <laughs> into, like, everything that they walk around and think about throughout their day, so it sort of brought me into the space that I'm not like formally trained in like I do the work of you know sort of of an architect but I'm not an architect mm -hmm. so it's it's weird and uncomfortable mm -hmm. but it's really cool <laughs> like, <laughs> I really love it um, and I I um, can't do a lot of the stuff that architects do they've just trained and they're way better at certain things but I also look at things differently than architects so I also bring things that they can't bring to the table so so it's sort of a, a pretty neat, rich relationship. And the same thing, like interior design. Like I just, I look at it differently than they do. And I can't do the things that they do. And, and in some cases they can't do it as well or like the way I do it, I guess is maybe more accurately put. So, so there's all these sort of areas that I have, I'm notorious for just diving into. And I'm like, I don't care, I'm just gonna do this. <laughs> like I'm, I'm sort of fearless in that way. And I love learning. Um, so, so back to like, what is it that, that I do? So multi-unit is really just, if people aren't, aren't sort of aware, what does that mean? It's just, it's a multi-unit development. So it just means there could be like 10 condominiums or there could be 300 condos or apartments. So, mm -hmm. so it's sort of, I'm really interested in, um, 
you know, affordable living and, and efficiencies of living. And certainly it's like what I'm doing is not completely new. You know, it sort of almost sort of started in Japan and, and places where space is really valuable, like just, you know, the cost per square foot of doing something. So really it's sort of about, you know, looking at a space and um, sort of breaking it down and looking at the way people live. So, you know, I'm interested in some theoretical ideas of being in the same place at two times. So like, can you sort of be in your bathroom and living room or your bedroom and living room at the same time? You know, so if walls move and things like that, mm. well, you know, formally you actually are, but then sort of from an emotional perspective, it's like, no, you know, like you, you're now in just a bigger living room. And then, you know, so then I'm going to bed and it's like I moved this big moving wall unit and now I've got a big bedroom. So it's looking at efficiencies of space and, you know, certainly with COVID and things like that going on, it's another readjustment because like if people are going to start working at home more this idea is even more important, you know, mm. just sort of the idea of are you okay with being in a smaller space, but it's, you know, Star Trek wise, like it's converted and now you're in like your, your office. Mm -hmm. So the, the convertibility of space is interesting to me. And, um, and then just the economics of it is really kind of where I come from is like, okay, this is an interesting idea, but can we do it and make it profitable? And, and that's, that's kind of, you know, the, the, the test ultimately of design, like, can we do it? We can design it, but will anybody want it? Is it affordable? Things like that. So that's kind of the space I'm playing in. That's actually really interesting. So is it, I've been watching some videos of tiny home living yeah. and you said it was multi-unit. So it's almost like if you were, um, let's say in Hong Kong, yeah. I know in Hong Kong, there's some people, like obviously there's not a lot of space yeah. uh, to live in places like that. So for you, it's about how do you take that, let's say apartment space or living space or yeah. unit, living unit and optimize it, right? So by yeah. by introducing, as far as I understand, like movable uh, walls or movable, um, just really making the furniture kind of optimized in a yeah. way, like using every single inch, kind of like tiny homes do, but tiny homes yeah. are their own, their own unit in a way they, you, they are and there's a, there's a lot of crossover and and it's one of these weird things like maybe I should look at like tiny home stuff because I could probably be inspired and learn a lot from like the cool things that are going on but I for whatever reason I don't I don't know why I think a part of me as well is um, I don't like looking at things going on in my exact industry you know because I don't want to start replicating that mm. like in and it's kind of weird, you know, because it goes against a lot of what I teach. Like, do your research. Look at the competition. Where, but I, I don't know. Like, again, maybe I should, but I, I just sort of look at things from my perspective. And my perspective is, um, I look like to look at architecture, like interior architecture, which is walls, space, ceiling height, like all like the structural part of of a room. And I start to go, okay, well, that's that's the same thing, or it could be the same thing as a piece of furniture. Mm -hmm. So why can't furniture and object be architecture, mm -hmm. or or vice versa? Why can't like a wall be an object? You know, in these, if you start to sort of break things down, sort of formally, but also a little bit intellectually, you start to like your design palette kind of opens up. So that's the way I look at things. And I don't want to be kind of um, influenced by things that somebody might be like, look at it kind of more formally, mm. you know? And I things end up kind of more formally, like as in, okay, a table slides out, you know, like that probably happens in tiny houses, you know, of course. Um, but I'm looking at it 
from like an architectural perspective and then like a product perspective and then what sort of service can I get from that wall? Like the wall is a wall right now. It provides privacy mm-hmm. from my living room to my bedroom. That's the service you get from it is privacy. Mm-hmm. And the, the service is also, it holds electrical or something like that. So, you know, I started to go, oh, okay. Like the service could be eating at. Like that wall could be, the, you get the service of eating at a wall. Mm. Something flips down or something. Um, and then it's sort of like, well, what's the experience of that table flipping down or sliding out or whatever mm-hmm. and how can you make people go oh that was so cool mm-hmm. you know um that's where magic starts to happen when people just like opening a surprise you know mm-hmm. it's like people are just like damn that's so cool and mm-hmm. and then sometimes they'll pay a bit more money for it like rent or something or it might be just the difference between like i'm going to rent this place versus the place down the street mm-hmm. so that's where i sort of look at um you know, the design of my stuff just a bit differently mm-hmm. yeah. versus just doing tiny house stuff. But I, I mean, that said, I've certainly seen kind of micro space design done in um, some places around the world that I'm like, mm, that was badass. <laughs> That's so yeah. cool. Like, but, you know, knowing it's like, whoa, they spent like per square foot, holy smokes, you know, you do a little bit of research and like, wow, did they, that architect spend a lot of money on it. Mm. Like, so cool. But you know, unless you're a multimillionaire that wants to live in a super small space, you'd never be able to do that financially. Mm. So my stuff is much more about kind of affordability. Because mm. um, there's a bunch of people that have said to me, like, oh, you should go into the luxury markets, Tim. Like, shit that pops up and slides around, moves around, and you talk to it, um, and do this in luxury spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been like, yeah, I mean, kind of, but I don't know if I want to do that right now. Mm. So, you know... We're, we're working with, I'm working with somebody that we are doing voice activated stuff. So, so you can say to a moving wall unit. So an example of the moving wall unit is, you know, some of the spaces, and we can talk about that later, that I'm working on like some of these multi-unit tower spaces. Um, instead of having a super tiny bedroom that, you know, you can barely walk around your queen bed on all sides. I've sort of said, well, this is ridiculous. Like I, I wouldn't want to live like that. And I think a lot of people wouldn't want to live like that. So let's blow that wall, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, the service of privacy, and let's put in a great big wardrobe. So we're we're quadrupling the storage in in that room, in that space, in that apartment. And now when you go to bed, you know, you just move the wall Mm -hmm. and you've got a big bedroom. And then when you're not sleeping, you know, that wall collapses your bedroom and now you've got a big living room. Mm -hmm. So just the idea, again, that that example of service, is really important and then you know that wall becomes like it's got a desk component to it you know there's um, an element like where your TV is a part of that and you can you know it's on sort of like a lazy Susan you can spin it around and watch TV from your living room or you can spin it and watch from your bedroom so So, yeah there's a lot of sort of this service experience idea that sort of folds into what this place is Yeah. Interesting. So you talk about, you know, the importance of doing it for low cost um, mm. living so far. Yeah. Uh, where do you envision, I guess, who, who, who is your ideal customer? Like, where do you envision uh, this type of space to be used? And is yeah. it, you know, for a, a bachelor, uh, you know, maybe a couple who's just starting out? Uh, or is it for a family? What are you envisioning this to be? And is it already in use? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm doing, um, there's a, a big tower being developed um, in Edmonton right by the legislative building. It's a 30-story tower called the Augustana. So we're doing a whole whack of moving wall units in, in all the studio spaces. So, so, cool. so I call it like new studio because a studio is typically, it's like your bed is exposed and your couch and, you know, and I'm like, I don't know if people want that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think most people would want a degree of privacy. So... So yeah, that's what these units do. It's like it, you know, collapses bedroom, expands living room, etc. So, um, like those that place specifically, they sort of talk about the entire building being more of a luxury rental. And I don't know, you know, what the final rental prices will be. But you know, the idea was well, you know, we're competing against. They're competing against. Um, you know, smaller sort of micro units. You know, I'm not sure if Edmonton would call them micro units, but. Um, so it's just the idea that, well, this is pretty cool. <laughs> like being able to move stuff and expand stuff and interact with your space. Um, so arguably they've got a real competitive advantage mm-hmm. because 450 square feet lives more like 650 or 750 square feet. So that's pretty neat. And it's really quite usable. It's really easy to move the walls. Like you can push it with one finger and you know it doesn't slide around on its own. Mm-hmm. So, but it's, it is, you know, to answer your question, more focused on first time moving out of your house, um, you know, as a kid, as a you know teenager to twenty year old or whatever it is. Um, it could be for like a young couple looking for something affordable. It could be for a single parent. It could be for like parents with you know one one kid, younger kid. Mm-hmm. So it is that that market. It is less for sure focused on um, families or, or higher income. It's people sort of looking to just live a bit differently and mm. you know humbly in a way. So yeah, super interesting. Yeah, I think uh, from my personal experience, I've always lived. I grew up in an, in apartments, mm-hmm. and everyone around me grew up in apartments. And us really uh, learning how to appreciate smaller spaces was a huge thing for us. And then moving here, uh, and I remember we moved here and we lived in our first townhouse, and it had like three floors. And mm-hmm. I know for people in Canada, that's like, oh, it's just a townhouse. <laughs> but for us, it was like, oh my God, this is so crazy. There's two bathrooms. Like, yeah. how is that even a thing, you know? And I just, I feel like a lot of people in Canada end up. Um, or at least in North America, end up not appreciating the amount of space that they have sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's so smart to have um, that type of technology installed mm-hmm. uh, and that point of view of you know really appreciating every single thing that your space can do for you yeah. is such an important thing. Yeah, And I think definitely even for myself, I feel like I'm almost becoming a minimalist. Like I hate having so much stuff in my room and having, and I almost don't know how to have a big room in a way because I'm like, well, a bed goes here and that's about it. A bed in my closet. Like I I don't need all this like, you know, Mm -hmm. stuff. And then my, my girlfriends or my friends, they're like, you're crazy. How, how are you just having, you know, this one little table and a bed in this space? Like you need to learn how to, you know, put <laughs> more stuff in it, you know, right? Get more stuff. Yeah. So it's really interesting yeah. to me because I'm like, with that type of mindset, you almost, every piece of furniture you choose from that point on, everything that you choose has to be with thought. And because you have to think about it, like, you know, eventually the the wall's going to move. Where's your other furniture going to go? Mm-hmm. Have you kind of thought about that? Yeah, um, that's a part of, like, the entire system-based thinking and planning. Um 
I mean, the reality is this isn't for everybody. This is actually not for most people. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is for some people, you know, and you go to Toronto or Vancouver and it's just like there's housing crisis in Toronto. And, um, you know, developers are just building tiny spaces. Mm -hmm. And I I sort of look at it and I'm like, man, that's too bad. (laughs) You know, because it could be done better and for really not that much more money. But the functionality of your living is just way better. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense of pride about where you live. And mm-hmm. I write about, and I'm really interested in the idea of home. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and rarely does that sort of discussion come in. And it does once in a while with certain offices, like architect offices and, and interior design offices. But it isn't the, the center focus of a lot of design, you know, where you're designing a place for somebody. And few people think about the idea of home, like the emotional idea of home. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's, I'm really interested in that, you know, the idea of the extended home. So the extended home is, well, I'm going to go downstairs, you know, to the main level, to the coffee shop. And like, how do you live? So like, what do you need in your space and place? And, you know, where can you extend your home? And, you know, the idea of people living with friends and, you know, like privacy, like, how does all that work? You know, not just where does the furniture go and things, um, and how is it integrated in certain objects or not? Um, it's it's it all comes down to people and the way we live. For mm-hmm. me, yeah, not just things. Like not just oh, it'd be cool if the, if it did this, you know. Like to me, that's just that's. I mean, sometimes that can work, but it's really superficial. Um, mm-hmm. Like if you really keep focusing on the people, um, it says a lot, you know. And like a lot of the work that I'm heading towards. I think that there's, um, I'm, I'm opening my playbook here, <laughs> but it's, um, it's, you know, looking culturally, you know, like, you know, you come from Europe and the way you lived is different. Like the way maybe your parents cooked is a little bit different, mm-hmm. you know? So people that are coming from Iran, people that are coming from China, et cetera, et cetera, around the world, India, wherever, um, like the far North, like the way they cook and interact and live is just different. Mm. And then, so the question is, from a competitive perspective, how many architectural studios and interior design studios are focused on that? Mm. And I would argue, I think I could argue this pretty well, not a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. I think some people get sort of ex- excited about it, but whether it's sort of the client that's like, oh, no, 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 no I, don't, I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. But I just, I, I look at this again, it's person-centered, you know. It's like, wow, is there a huge opportunity, you know, to design for these people? and their community and the way they live and you know whether it's sort of shared kitchens and there's a lot of th- neat things that have been going on um, that I think some really cool studios have done um, some incredible work on but I think there's a lot of opportunity to do way better work too. Hmm. So you, you mentioned your uh, building that you're working on right mm-hmm. now downtown so does your client have an idea of what type of people are going to be moving into this uh, place yeah, you're kind of mentioning you know different people coming from China or Iran yeah. is that really at the forefront uh, when you're starting to design it it kind of is okay <laughs> <laughs> um, I think as industrial designers we're used to really digging in and certainly there um, and another big project I'm working on um, it's actually I can talk about it it's called the Milner building downtown Edmonton um, 104th Street, um, just south of Jasper Ave, is one of the coolest mid-century modern buildings in Edmonton. So, like they, for example, hired um, sort of research team, and 
you know, we brought in people and did focus groups of like, you know, sort of 20 people and asked questions. And we sort of said, well, you know, this is who we think the client is. Now, what does the client want? And there's a real challenge um, to get data and input from people and then to make sure that, like, it's full circle, the discussion we had earlier. It's like, do they know what they want? And usually they don't know what they want. Like if they see and can interact with ideas, um, I think they know more of what they want. But if they're just sort of like, yeah, like a movable wall, whoa, sounds like a lot of work, sounds heavy. You know, no, I don't know if I'd want that. You know, or like this beautiful social space as you walk into a building, no, I want privacy. Mm-hmm. But it's like, like I've seen around the world, like in New York, um, there's a, a place, hotel called Citizen M. And it's just, they've done one of the coolest design jobs in there. And it's just like, you want to go in, you want to hang out, you want to socialize. And it's packed, like, and I mean, way more so than any other hotel I've been in, like the lobby area. So so there's a real challenge um, in getting to know people. So you need to be a really strong researcher and need to be able to sort of cut through and guide discussions about what do people think they want and then sort of stopping them with making assumptions. Um, but yeah, there's, I think that the best design development sort of places like, you know, towers, apartments, condos, that they're doing that. And I, I do think that there's a lot of room for improvement mm-hmm. in the information they're getting and then how that's converted into uh, places and spaces, you know. Um, one of the things that I, I did with um, the Augustana and, and the amazing developers, John Day and Kevin McKee from, uh, from Pangman, is... Um, I was talking about these moving wall units and, and so forth, and, and I think everybody was kind of like, oh, okay, you know, I, I think I get it. And they came and looked at prototypes, and, and they're like, ooh, that's neat. So then I said, well, you know what, we got to really, we got to let them be in this space. So we did a, a VR, like a virtual reality demo, and we created the space and everything in it. And you know, they were walking around um, with you know the headset on in you know this virtual space. Um, and it's a really neat experience because they, they sort of came out of it. And I was like, okay, what would you like to change? And they were like, oh, my God, like zero. And it wasn't because the design was perfect at all because we totally tweaked a whole bunch of things. But they were just like, I get it. I get it. I get the way this works now. I totally get it mm-hmm. in that space. So, so you know, that's where I think in some cases like emergent technologies like that are, are really helpful to – sort of educate, you know, developers and business owners of, to like, how could this work, you know, for these groups of people? Um, you know, because there is, you know, people, it was an interesting come couple sort of situations we ran into where there was, you know, people my age and older that were part of sort of a decision-making team, you know, with this, these big development companies. And they'd be like, well, I don't know if I'd like that. And, you know, I don't know about this. And and I'd say, well, like, you don't get a vote. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you're middle-aged like me. You're, you're like double the age of this demographic. You don't get a vote. Like, if you say, talk about them and the way they live and who they are and their lifestyle and their friends and music and clothing and, like, everything, and then give me an opinion, I'll listen. I'll listen really carefully. But all too often, it was just, you know, the 50, 60-year-old perspective. And I'm like, no. <laughs> You don't get a vote, <laughs> sort of. But of course they did. They're the decision makers. They're paying the bills. But um, but that's sort of the way I approach it. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. How do you you know go about 
telling someone, like talking to investors in that way? Like, how do you go? Because I think on the other, one of the other episodes that we just recently recorded, we talked about um, interdisciplinary teams and having to almost, I don't want to say fight for your perspective as a designer, Mm -hmm. but having to kind of, uh, explain what we do and why it's important to yeah. you know listen to that particular group of people and yeah. uh, you know the importance of human-centered design and human-centered mm-hmm. thinking. How do you go about educating you know these other professionals who yeah. might think a completely different way? And how do you go about meeting in the middle? Yeah, I mean you hit it on the head. The first thing is education. Like designers are educators. I think you know mm-hmm. that we're. We're fighting for like the client or the client's client, really, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the end user, right? Um, that's that's first and foremost. And like the way I do it is um, like the way I do it. I'm not saying the way people should do it is. Um, I've sort of always seen myself as an expert generalist, and um, it doesn't mean that everybody should be at all, at all, at all. But um, I'm I'm really quite good at a whole bunch of things, so. I'm able to talk about structure, material, you know, plumbing, lighting, um, you know, cost, like pro formas, profit loss, um, you know, engineering structure, like all sorts of things. The reality is, is that there's a ton of people way smarter about all those things than me, but at least I can have discussions about them so that I can sort of sit down with um, the business owners or investors and say, okay, listen, guys, like here's, here's where we're at. And, mm-hmm. and financially, I'm smart enough and experienced enough over you know, a whole bunch of decades of working um, that I can talk numbers. Because it, it always comes down to that, you know, kind of in the industry, um, that they're going to have to see that, okay, like for sure, my clients, like end users, are going to see value in this. Like, I want that. And that they're willing to pay for it. And that they're not, you know, because there's that, that cross of sort of these curves of like... Um, will they pay for it? No, they really want it, but they're not willing to pay for it versus mm-hmm. they will. You know, so it's it, it's really important, I think, that designers sort of can have that sort of language and not just say, like, yes, people want this, people want this, but have these, you know, these different kinds of discussions, I think, for me, is really important. And that's where I think that I've been really lucky in my career to be able to sort of do that, mm. you know, talk interdisciplinarily. Um, work with like great teams of people like the VR stuff I don't have a clue about it like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I like I don't know the first thing about it but I, I just work with super 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 talented people and I'm like this is what we got to do and and they're super geeked out about it because it's new usually to them and yeah we do get to do cool work that's super cool so you almost have to kind of be educated in their language yeah. Yeah. in order to communicate to them yeah it, it's almost you. You're not trying to uh, almost educate them. You're trying to educate yourself first and foremost in mm-hmm. a way that they communicate, and yeah. then strategize around that in a way. I think so. Yeah, that's probably fair to say. I mean, I think it absolutely goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but for sure, I think that you need to be empathetic to mm. to your client. Okay. You know, and and then you've got to be that voice of your client's client mm. and, and not just like, oh, this would be so cool, they'd love it, you know, mm-hmm. but every business, I mean, has to make money. Mm-hmm. And um, I think virtually every time, not every time, but because mm-hmm. there's people out there that are sort of philanthropists and just want to do great work. But mm-hmm. it's like, it's typically, if they're going to make another 
hundred grand or million dollars or whatever off of like some idea, mm-hmm. they'll choose whatever that is as opposed to like maybe there's something that was way cooler but they'd make a bit less money. Well, they're going to choose the first option. So, yeah, um, being understanding of them, you know, like there's some incredible companies that you know are less interested or maybe they're they're nonprofits or something where it is just about people and health and well-being and stuff like that. Yeah. So those are those are cool clients, but they still have budgets too, you know. Super interesting. Yeah. Um, I guess one of the questions that I was wondering is obviously with the pandemic coming on, mm. um, not only is our way of life going to be affected right now, but I think people are going to be completely changed in the way that they think yeah. about public spaces, private spaces. Yeah. Um, and we all kind of know that there's going to be waves of pandemics coming on. I mean, Hong Kong has experienced its third wave mm-hmm. of pandemic where they locked down the entire city. And yeah. I'm sure that, you know, Edmonton's a little bit better because it's more spaced out, but yeah. they say that one can come on according you know this accordingly this winter Um, you talked about the importance of space during the pandemic Uh, can you kind of explain to us how has that changed how has your research changed Mm -hmm. and your you know how you design changed um, with accordance to the pandemic that's a such a great question I bet you I have three you know meetings a week or sitting down with design colleagues over a beer talking about this. Um, and I don't know if this is the way it's going to shake out, but I think a lot of um, the way that we're going to start to live will be in part driven by new te- technologies, by emergent technologies. Because, you know, like we've all had Zoom meetings and Google Hangout meetings and things like that. And it's sort of been like, you know, you, you talk to business owners that are, you know, pl- paying a hundred grand a month and, you know, for this tower, this huge space and all the office workers and whatever, and they're kind of going right now around the world, uh, wow, like we actually don't maybe need half that space. Hmm. So, so like just think of that, you know, like the economic impact of all of a sudden we don't need half the office space. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I, that's probably a high percentage and maybe over years or decades that's what will happen. But so the economic impact of that is kind of like, whoa, what are we going to do? That's huge. And then it's like, you know, people working from home. And then what does that mean for your, your space? And mm-hmm. privacy, you know, if you've got a partner that lives with you, it's like you're both trying to <laughs> talk and meet. And it's like, well, I know, it's too much. And then you throw a little kid toddler into the mix and it's just like it's, it's bananas, right? So, yeah, for sure the spaces that we live in are going to change. So the idea of privacy and... And I think that some of that is going to get into, you know, solutions that are driven by technology. I was talking with somebody yesterday, actually, about sort of like these new technologies and and meeting, you know, virtually, holographically, like, you know, that that there's opportunities where, you know, we're right now or sort of historically, it's like you can go to the, you know, your buddy in the next office or whatever, next cubicle and chat about an idea. And like, that was so efficient, you know, in a five minute discussion where, at home, it just kind of sucks now, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, but that's going to change, you know. Like to me, like this is a problem, and it's like beautiful. Like that's where new businesses start up and people do really cool things. So, so I think that um, with problems come new opportunities. The way that we can live and interact with each other. So, I think in a way, it's a little bit tragic that we maybe will have less of that human interaction percentage-wise of our 
you know, waking life. I think that is going to suck a bit. But um, I think that uh, technology is a little part of it. And I just really hope it's done brilliantly by people that really care about people as opposed to just slapping technology on something and it's people are forced to work with it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, that's a little bit, I think, of what's going to be happening. Hmm. Yeah. And you were talking about, you know, the, the idea of privacy and how that would change within the home. Um, is there something in your designs that you are, of course, um, we understand that you're kind of market that you're basing this on is more like open open concept mm-hmm. homes and we understand that like you're using walls as mm-hmm. um and you're thinking of it as diff- like a different kind yeah. of in a different mindset almost yeah. as like furniture and movable yeah. um how do you think that will make privacy better is there is there now are you coming up with new concepts for mm-hmm. how how you think about walls how you think about yeah, space totally, sure. uh, do you have any kind of new ideas uh, as to that so um, far? for sure um, you know over the last four to six months it's like this is even more important now for what we do mm-hmm. at architecture um, you know so the scenario of um, which is really quite common you know it could be a couple or a couple like I'd mentioned with like a small kid and like how do you how do you deal with that like in mm-hmm. a smaller space um, and like literally just noise um, and then physical space so you know that's where just thinking about you know architecture mm-hmm. um, first you know because that's the structure of your place and sort of knowing it like okay this is how many square feet we have roughly and sort of the rough like outline of that space how do we how do we deal with noise mm-hmm. and how do we deal with mobility and like interaction privacy like all sorts of things so um and that's where just you know i, I love doing that work um you know because things can move slide drop down extrude you know there's all sorts of interesting opportunities where you start to just make place and space just different mm. you know and um so yeah, I mean we're doing doing lots of lots of work where, um, and it's a it's a bit of a slippery slope, you know, where you're talking to your space and and privacy. Like I don't know that I want, even though I'm doing this work, it's like I really don't want Google knowing what the hell I'm doing or or Siri, you know. It's like mm-hmm. and selling that information. I'm like I I utterly hate that idea. Mm-hmm. So but there's an opportunity. Like I hate that. That's a problem. So it's like psh, perfect problems of opportunity in my view. So. Mm. Um, so maybe it isn't hooked into, you know, the system. It is just, it's all self-contained. So it's mm. like, hey, you know, like what we're doing, you know, it's like, hey, Siri, you know, close wall and it goes into your bedroom. It's a huge living room. It's like, hey, mm. Siri, I'm going to bed and, you know, and, and oh, there goes Siri. <laughs> <laughs> she knows me. Um, uh, so, yeah. And, and so we're, we're actually doing some work where it's just these self-contained systems that no one's ever going to get your information. Um, so... That's just sort of the idea of convenience, you know, because mm. even something as silly as like a wall bed, you know, most people are like, I don't know if I really want to fold up my bed. Mm-hmm. And you sort of, you can make the argument, well, it's like, it's like five seconds of work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why is that such a problem? Yeah. But there is like this weird barrier for people. Mm-hmm. So, so that's where it's, it is this weird balance between becoming this, like this weird generation of people that don't kind of do anything physical in a way to um, just being able 
yeah, talk to your space versus like having some interactivity, mm. physical interactivity with your space. So I'm, I'm really interested as well in that sort of physical interactivity. Um, but again, it's, you know, each generation is more tech savvy, you mm. know, like we all know nieces, nephews, kids, cousins, whatever, like little toddlers that, you know, they pick up an iPad and they're three and there's like, you know, they're flying yeah, around. They and already like, what? know everything. <laughs> yeah. like, like, I don't even know how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I think it's cool that you've blended architecture and furniture with architecture. Yeah, architecture. Yeah, architecture. Okay. Yeah, that's so it's the, like the smashing of architecture and furniture. So architecture. Yeah, I think that's so cool. I've worked for a moving company in the past, and they're facing a lot of difficulties in people aren't moving as much stuff. Yeah. Um, and then even I notice on like Facebook buy and sell and Kijiji. Like, if somebody's moving, they're selling all their stuff, and they're really just moving their, like, core stuff they need, like their clothes. I mean, sometimes they're selling their bed. So I think that's a really big trend that you're tapping into. Mm -hmm. So what, like, these units, what type of furniture would be included, and what would a person need if they're going to move into this suite? Yeah, so... It's, that's a really great, great question, and, and I'll actually rewind a bit, because for me, that sort of scenario of like, you know, yeah, I'm just going to sell my bed, I'm going to sell my table, or my whatever, like, I always start with, like, why? Like, why are you going to do it? Well, it's because I don't really have an emotional attachment to it, it's just, it's just bloody bad, right? Or it came from Ikea, or it's like, whatever. So, like, the emotional attachment, the idea of, like, a contemporary heirloom, you know, it's like, well, it's different. Like heirlooms of the past. It's like, oh, you're taking grandma's, you know, wardrobe or whatever it is. Where in a lot of cases now, it's like, it, it's it's uh, it's a commodity. It's just, it's a widget. It doesn't have that value. So, you know, understanding sort of emotive value of artifacts and things and places and spaces and whatever becomes really important, you know. So do I buy a bed because it's super expensive and beautiful and da-da-da-da? And, and, well, then you're probably going to keep that bed with you mm-hmm. because there was, you spent a lot of money, you found it incredibly beautiful, whatever. So it's sort of determining that is a part of what I do, of what things will stay and what things don't. So, you know, for example, in, uh, in the Augustana, um, you know, there's basically, there's a whole bunch of objects sort of smashed into this moving wall system. So there's, you know, your, your wardrobe. So there's tons of storage. Um, there's all sorts of like sort of side tables. There's um, a place to store your, your dirty laundry, whatever little baskets. It's like, okay, you'll like, you know, $3 Ikea basket, you know, that's a disposable kind of thing. Um, you know, there's a TV stand with this rotating TV system. Um, there's a desk that can extrude out, you know, to just sort of save space because if you need a desk, all of a sudden that's taking up how many square feet of your space. So it's like, no, that's integrated. Mm. Um, so there's a bunch of things where I'll sort of go, well, I mean, if somebody brings a desk into that small of a space, like literally where would it go? So it's like, well, they, they can't bring a desk. Like it's just, it's too small. So maybe they'd have like a, a laptop table in front of their couch. So it's like, that's one of the things that we design is like these cool little sort of portable laptop tables. It can be a side table and things. So we start to sort of strip out um, like these things that are, I I talk about right or wrong as commodities. Like it's just, they're sort of there and they're disposable versus the things of value that somebody would want to take with them, which, you know, could be a picture or something like that. So 
where can we hang that picture? So making sure that there's enough space on walls to hang a picture, you know, of the family or whatever it is, right? So all of that, again, is um, a part of sort of the system-based design of making just something as simple as a moving wall system. Mm. Yeah. That's so interesting. I feel like that almost reminds me of Apple a little bit because in Apple you buy, you know, let's say your iPhone and then you're like, hmm, what computer am I going to buy? And then mm. you realize, oh, Apple has this thing called AirDrop and it has this thing called Messenger and it has this da-da-da-da-da, you know, like a list of things that kind of yeah. connect and make a system. Yeah. So now you have a phone, you have a computer, and now you're thinking, oh, I need headphones. So right away you're like, oh, I have these like really cool headphones that connect through Bluetooth. So now right away you're thinking, okay, I'm going to go with yeah. Apple because it can seamlessly connect to this thing, this thing, mm -hmm. this thing, this thing. And I feel like it's a very similar thing. It's like yeah. you're designing, you know, a home and right away maybe you can even potentially have furniture that could perfectly fit into this yeah. extra um, you know, environment. But now you have to almost think, how do I design for uh, like the aesthetic of this person? How do I make it so that it could still be their own being mm -hmm. and their own home? But then yeah. it has that like application. Like, how do you go about that? Where, where yeah, do you find this is, the... This sounds a bit fluffy, and it is maybe a bit fluffy, but <laughs> <laughs> I... Um, I, I used to talk a lot about system-based design, which that is. Like, mm -hmm. what a beautiful, elegant, connected system. And now I think about and do and, and teach a lot about, um, or just use the word, the ecology, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's where it's maybe a bit flaky, but it maybe makes me feel good. Where, like, the ecology of a system, you know, if I say that, and we're outside of talking about product design, you're, you're thinking about you know, the ecology of a lake and, and sort of the, and I'm like, so I, I use that. I, I don't know if I heard it or if I made that term up. Probably I didn't make it. Like I probably heard it and I just don't know where I heard it, you know, decades ago. But I sort of love thinking about the ecology of the way we live, you know, because it's just, it's very biological and very human, mm. you know, versus like system-based design is like, it's just like, oh my God, shoot me. It's like so <laughs> engineering, profit, like, you know, you know, and I, I, I kind of hate that even though I do it. So I just... Mm -hmm. I love thinking about the ecology of the way that we live because it's just humanizing it. And it's just, I think it should, maybe it sometimes forces me to keep thinking about people and just making this as human as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, engineers are going to be better at, you know, system-based design probably than me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're trained like ISO, it's got to be perfect, efficient, you know, won't hurt people, da, da, da. Um, and my, my stuff ends up that way, but I start with this sort of ecology of people and, mm. and the way we live. and our interaction with hard and soft tissue, you know, so the t soft tissue is, you know, human-human kind of thing, and the hard tissue is, like, human to object, you know. Yeah. So trying to start with that ecology to, you know, soft tissue, soft tissue thing, and then going from there. Hmm. That's really interesting. Um, I guess moving forward with, you know, the notion of ecology um, and that kind of bringing you a little bit of inspiration when you start to design, is there anything else that really inspires your work uh, or you look forward to every time you start to design? Uh, I think it's it's always about um, people and community. Like, I, um, I'm doing a really big project and I apologize I can't sort of say where it is but it's it's a really big historic development in Edmonton that could be over a 300 unit development uh, like like suites mm -hmm. um, so huge um, and 
um, with my development partners that are, you know, frankly, sort of the money people, like the people that do this for a living. Um, I'm continuously talking to them and the city and people like that about people and community. This is about people and community. Like, it's just like I am obsessed with that. Mm -hmm. And and I've done an absolute ton of, you know, sort of visual conceptual work on, on this project. And, and I think because of our approach with people and community, um, it's, it's become really cool. Like, oh my gosh, I hope that we can do it because I think it could be a really, really, really important project for Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, just showing the opportunities of really historic buildings, but also just really focusing on people and mm-hmm. community and health and well-being. And then from there, just like really cool things can happen. So it, it, that's, yeah, it's all about people and community for me. Absolutely. That's that's a good point. I think both Steph and I we also feel the same way in mm. a lot of our in a lot of our projects. Yeah. We just did a medical course with Ben and Jen. Ben over, King. Yeah, yeah, Ben King, yeah. Uh, and Jennifer Doobie. And yeah, it was super cool because with Ben's side of the course, um, he kind of let us just take the reins, and um, he was just like, oh. COVID is the issue, go. <laughs> and Fix this yeah, thing. Yeah. Our projects were completely different. I sure. worked with the Today Center solving domestic violence, um, or finding, not solving it, but finding yeah, sure. a way to aid to the issue of domest- like heightened domestic violence that's happening due to COVID. Yeah. And then Steph. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had the opportunity to interview a bunch of pediatric nurses and staff at the stallery and found out the uh, kids who are symptomatic and the full PPE that healthcare workers are wearing. Mm -hmm. There's Mm -hmm. a like a scarce or an afraid kind of factor. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, designed a kit to kind of break the ice with, you know, their isolation. And it was so cool that we had, I think, three weeks you know, we were stuck in our bedrooms and we're still able to, you know, have such a solid project because yeah. people were like the number one goal. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. who we, you know, started with and ended with. And yeah. it was great. That's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing that you guys did that. Um, those projects sound so cool, but it's just, you know, like, oh my gosh, you guys um, started with people, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just, Got to know the people like mm-hmm. deeply, and and I think that if all everybody in the design industry did that same sort of thing at that same level, God, we have a much better world. Mm. You know, that mm-hmm. really worked for everybody. Yeah. You know, it's not just sort of universal design for the masses. That there's some really special um, solutions for special people. Mm. You know? That's a really good point. Yeah. Um, speaking of kind of. People and um, and us being fresh-faced baby designers. <laughs> Do you have uh, any advice uh, to upcoming designers uh, starting out in their profession professional uh, careers right yeah. now? Um, we need it, and yeah. I think our listeners <laughs> do too. <laughs> uh, everybody does. Um, you guys are no different than me in a way. Like I, I have a lot more years of experience on you guys. That's kind of the main thing, but. I've, um, right or wrong, let's really followed my heart and my passion. And mm-hmm. it's just dig into it and just be tenacious. Don't ever give up. I know that sounds simple and very much like grandpa would say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But it's, it's absolutely true. Um, like if you follow your passion and, 
and you work in, you know, passionately and, and with great people, um, that's what it's about, you know, like sort of knowledge of technologies and, you know, those different sort of things are all learnable, you know, but it's just, you know, follow your, your passion, your dream and see where you can fit into these industries, you know, because um, for sure, I, I mean, my life, it's like, like so many, like, I think every project, there's multiple times where I'm like, man, I'm super uncomfortable. Like, I think people are just like, what the hell is Tim doing here? He's not an architect. He's not an interior designer. He's not an engineer. Like, who is this dude? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but I, I've got a confidence that it's like, I know I've got something to contribute. I really do. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you guys do. I mean, it's the knowledge that you guys come out with, um, you know, and understanding your, your generation and technology and, um, my God, you got like every, every year there's so many projects and so many students that we have that, that come through the U of A industrial design program. And I'm sure every program around the world where we're just like, Oh my God, they don't even know how good they are or how good that project was. (laughs) Um, so just keep getting out there. Hmm. Sounds simple, but it's true. That's a that's a good advice. I, it's good to know that we're kind of on our on the right track in a way. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> slowly but surely. Slowly but yeah, surely. Yeah, things don't things don't work out when people aren't passionate, committed, or driven. You know, when they're just kind of floating. You know, it's like well, if you're kind of floating, you're gonna kind of float. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're gonna true. continue to float. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. dig into it. That's yeah. a that's a really good point. Um, and then I know just to for those people who are. Have you have you ever experienced kind of a switch in your career? Constantly. You talked about yeah. uh, you know starting off in a, uh, what was it? Not parasailing, but windsurfing. Windsurfing, yeah. and then just becoming a designer. I know right now I'm kind of switching personally. Like I'm going from this you know tra- classically trained industrial design yeah. products, products, products to more UX UI, yeah. where the product is still there but it's more digitalized. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about how do you maneuver the switch like how do you go about yeah yeah it's uh again it's it's a an embarrassingly simple uh answer but it's um get to know the industry and your your place in it like just you know get to know your skill set get to know Mm -hmm. your passions where you're weak try to become stronger i mean Mm -hmm. whatever that is you know just so that you're at minimum sort of tolerable to that that profession if you've got a weakness but you're like oh my god i hate the computer rendering or something mm-hmm. it's like if that's a part of the industry you got to you got to become proficient at it but mm-hmm. you know you you probably are going to offer something that's really amazing mm-hmm. in the industry that you know that other people don't have mm-hmm. so it's you know and then finding ways of really talking about that skill set mm-hmm. you know because what you guys at your age generation you know kind of 20s ish you know or even in, into early 30s um, the like your life experiences um, are way more contemporary and important, especially with certain uh, projects and groups of people, projects, uh, you know, than people that are much more senior to you, Mm. you know, like I love working with younger people, Mm. um, especially in so many projects, because just they, they have skill sets that I don't, you know, and I'm Mm. deeply aware of that. Um, So I want to work with people of all types and ages and ethnicities and whatever. Um, Mm. So, yeah. 
That's really interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Speaking of, you know, kind of working with different groups and um, constantly bringing on, you know, new things and new classes, uh, you know, surprising you with their skill sets. Where do you see the design industry in about, you know, a 10 year span, if you had to imagine? I know you talked about technology a little bit, but... That's funny because I'm not a technology guy at all, all, (laughs) really. Um, But I use it. And... And the reason I believe that it's it's kind of simple is that um, you know technology we we just don't have to think about digital technology because you know the steam engine was technology at one point but we don't really think of it often that way. So technology will always be a part of human evolution. So um, and then the other part of the formula, just other than it just helping us with efficiencies, is that you know, you guys are, are wrapped up more in technologies, like new technologies or just social media, whatever it is, than I am. And mm-hmm. so you're getting older and you're becoming more senior and you're just, it's a part of your life. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be there. It is always going to, it's going to be this evolutionary thing. Um, and I, you know, I talk lots um, with colleagues and friends and, and family that are sort of in design technology industries. And, um you know, there's some crazy stuff that's going out there, like just with sort of efficiencies of visualization. Um, I have a cousin, Todd Chernowski, um, that's a, a production designer in Hollywood. So he's um, he's done, oh my God, just like dozens and dozens of like the biggest movies in the world. Um, like he just, we were talking this last week about um, Mandalorian, which is I think an offshoot of Star Trek. And we were talking about you know, when's he going to go back to filming? And, you know, is he going to be in the Middle East or wherever? And he's like, oh, no, no, it's just like here in Hollywood. And I'm like, well, how are you doing the sets in like deserts? And he was telling me about these massive, massive caves, like these curved wall caves and the super uh, projections that they do and just filming and to visualize um, instead of going out like the old Star Treks, like to film, you know, And, and it's just so good nowadays that you never know that this wasn't live. So the the ability to sort of talk to clients and educate them and sort of show them like this is what you should be doing um, is I think becoming more important. Um, Having said that, I think that, you know, we're also losing a bit of that humanity and that that tactile qualities in, in design. So I think that also that branch of the way we design and work is going to become more important for people. You know, I think it's sort of shrinking, you know, yeah. the idea of just like that craft made artifact, which is really what kind of I'm that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think my people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're becoming, we're, we're sort of shrinking, but in, in a weird way, we're becoming more important because there's sort of fewer of us. So it's never going to go away, the stuff that I do, because there's a deep value to it. Um, but um, yeah, the technology stuff. Yeah, that, that's really interesting, actually, because um, like my partner, Josh, he is applying right now to uh, different lighting companies or just in general, different physical product kind yeah. of companies. Yeah. His portfolio has a lot of renders, just like yeah. a lot of, you know, other people like Camille, our friend, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of them who are applying for physical product companies they have a mixture of physical products as well as renders um, that they haven't built yet right and there was a company that he was applying to and the guy told him some feedback and he said 
I never want to see a render from a person who applies because to me, a render is just a really hyper-realistic sketch. He said that you might as well just sketch really well and show me the material, like a mm. picture of a material that you're going to use, yeah. and that would give me more information than your render. Mm. He said that you know a render is so perfect yeah. and it's so staged yeah. that you lose... Um, you know, that realistic mm -hmm. kind of aspect of it. Yeah. And he even even on their website, it's a lighting company, they even say, no renders here. Yeah. Uh, and they show all of their products. So meaning that they're all physically made, they're all yeah. actually manufactured. And you can see, you know, yeah. the the details and the mm -hmm. thought process of it. Yeah. It's really interesting uh, to kind of consider that as well. Yep, yeah. I mean, it's um, just the idea of sketching, you know, it's... it's um, it's so important, you know, we, we always talk about in design school, um, mm -hmm. you know, being able to do the napkin sketch, you mm -hmm. know, and sitting down with the client and you're trying to express an idea. So just being able to draw that out and have the emotive qualities of it expressed is, it's tricky and it's hard, mm -hmm. you know, and certainly different companies at different stages of a, of a project need to visualize it at, at different levels. Um, you know, and it's, again, not really the stuff that I do too much. Um, you know, but in, in later stages, like, you know, augmented reality and, and VR and stuff like that, where people can sort of work on, understand, look at, explode, you know, objects uh, as a team, I think is becoming a really interesting opportunity. Um, you know, th that sort of collaborative thing without, you know, blowing the budget too soon on, like, how do we make this? What does it look like? What materials? Like, where are the screw holes? Whatever it is. Um, it just depends where it is in, in the project. And sometimes it depends on the company, too, like mm. you're, you're talking about, Tasha. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all your insight. I know we got to know you uh, more, but it's definitely <laughs> be interesting to sit down and learn even more. It yeah. seems like you're, you say you're a generalist. It seems like you're kind of a, a professional in so many areas and be so cool to explore all those. All right, guys, that was another episode of Considered. What a fantastic interview we've had with Tim Antoniak. He's truly an influential designer and business owner. It is not very often to meet a person who can balance being an educator and a business owner so seamlessly. As always, we'll be sharing Tim's website and images of his work on our Instagram. So follow us at Considered Design Podcast to check it out. Thank you for tuning in. And remember, next time you design, be helpful, be thoughtful, and be considerate.